Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, VA fam, it's Mandy here back with another episode of Brown Ambition. I am so excited about today's show. I get to speak with one of the most inspirational women I have talked to in a very long time, Daisha Kennedy of The Broke Black Girl. If y'all did not follow Daisha yet, you can find her on Instagram and all other platforms at The Broke Black Girl. Check out thebrokeblackgirl.com. Daisha and I go way back, way, way back. Not only do we share a connection with my mom living in St. Louis today, Daisha being born and raised in St. Louis, Daisha recently moved to my home state, Georgia, where she's raising two amazing young boys, nine and 13 years old. But Daisha also has lived so much life for just being in her mid 30s, y'all so much life. She has been through divorce. She was a very young mother. And she as a single mom now has managed to come out on the other side, so much richer in all the different definitions of that term. And she and I get real, not just about the impact of getting divorced young and raising two children as a single mother, but also what it's been like for her to get to a place where she can finally feel like she's enjoying the success that she's worked so hard for. So without further ado, let's get into my interview with Daisha Kennedy, again from The Broke Black Girl. I am so excited to be here with our guest today. Her name is Daisha Kennedy. You may better know her as The Broke Black Girl or I'm, I'm guessing like the broke black girl no more because <laughs> you have come a very, very long way and we're going to talk all about it. But Daisha, thanks so much for coming on Brown Ambition. Thank you so much for having me. When I got the invitation, I was super excited about being here. Okay, so you are aware of Brown Ambition. You know that we exist. Yes. Because I definitely know you exist. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously Tiffany can't be here, but we send her lots of love and yes, virtual hugs and all of that. She's continuing her hiatus, but I get Daisha all to myself. So first, we've already connected on like multiple levels. My mom lives in St. Louis. You born and raised in St. Louis. Yes. But you recently had a huge move. Oh, yes. Packed up your whole life. Talk to me about that because we're around the same age. You have two, you have two boys. You're raising them as a single mom, nine and 13. Is that right? Yes. So you packed up your two boys and you moved to Atlanta in your early 30s, mid 30s. Tell me why and what was that experience like for you? Well, I was born and raised in St. Louis and I absolutely love my hometown. I love St. Louis, but I needed a change. I lived in the same apartment for 10 years and it was just time for a change. So already having 
a friend who lived in Georgia, but it felt like home. I knew that when I came back, I was going to be staying here. So, and I moved June, 2021. I packed me and my boys up with just one suitcase. We gave away everything and we started completely over. First of all, so brave. It takes a lot of courage to move, especially with two young boys moving cross country. All right. So you have obviously a successful business that broke black girl and you're independent. I mean, you really are in a situation like I think a lot of people realized after the pandemic and even before that in your case where you don't necessarily you're not tied career wise to right. one city, but still moving. I mean, that and especially moving a family with your two boys, that must have been I mean, it sounds like you had to prepare months and months. What was that financial preparation like for you to move and what all went into it? The, the very first thing that I knew was pos- that I knew that I needed to do was reduce my living expenses as low as possible. So this came with this. This was a tough decision, but it was a lot of inner work that I had to do because I moved back home with my mom. So and I and I love my mom and it, it was an amazing experience. But at that time, here I am. I have two children. My boys are, you know, they're older. They're accustomed to us having, you know, our own space and doing our own thing at our house, not really having to abide by someone else's rules. But I knew that in order for me to make this possible and save money, I needed to reduce my living expenses as low as I could and what was better than zero. So I I gave up my apartment. I moved in with my mom for six months and I was able to save from from January 2021 to June 2021. I was able to save $50,000 to prepare for our move. And I'm so thankful to this day for my mom because without her, that would not have been been possible. So preparing for that took a lot of inner work because I gave up everything, all of my expenses, my needs and my wants. And I solely just live with my mom, slept in my old room, sometimes sharing their room with my sons for six months so that we could financially prepare to to move 600 miles away. What was behind the decision to get rid of everything? I mean, moving with one suitcase. I just told you I took a two day trip to Georgia with my son and my husband and we took like four suitcases. It was ridiculous. How and why? <laughs> For me, it was it was symbolic to letting go. One of the things mm-hmm. that I learned about me really with money is that sometimes we have a connection to something because we bought it. We feel like we have to keep it forever to get our money's worth. But for me, I mean, once I bought it, the, the money is gone. So it was hard for me to let go of a lot of things. So I had to work through that. But I've lived in that space for 10 years through so many different stages of my life. So much of me was connected to stuff that when I moved, I, I just wanted to start over. So I gave away everything. Like when I think about the bed that I had, I loved my bed, but I've cried in this bed. I went to bed angry, you know, in this bed. So much of my life over the last 10 years, so many different stages was connected to things. I didn't want to take anything like that with me when I relocated. That's beautiful. And it's sort of, it's so symbolic and it's also isn't that what we mean by a fresh start? Yes. And even the like the symbolism of you have like what if you had hauled all that stuff yes. with you? You know, would it have felt like a brand new space? So you went and got all new furniture. I see your beautiful little sitting area <laughs> back there. But you've so you've been in Georgia for six months. Was fifty thousand dollars enough? What do you if you can look back on that big move, how you prepared, you know, what are you and now you're six months removed from it? 
how do you feel about the way you approached it? What may you have done differently or the same? Um, I would say $50,000 was more than enough. It could, it really could have been less. It wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be. Planning ahead made it so much easier. There were some things that did catch me off guard because I hadn't rented a place in 10 years, I was completely out of the loop as to what was going on now with renting the, um, all of the different additional fees that were included when trying to get a rental property. Should I purchase a home? Like I was facing a lot of things that I hadn't had to think about for 10 years. So if there was anything that I would have done differently, it would have been to stay involved, even though it really didn't matter to me at that time, but to stay involved with the current times when it comes to renting and buying a property and the housing market, it didn't matter to me before because my rent never changed for 10 years. I had an amazing landlord. So my rent was very low and never changed for 10 years. So I was completely out of the loop with certain fees and anything that I would have paperwork that I would have needed. So if there would have been anything that I would have done differently, it would have been to continue to just stay involved because you never know when you're going to have to pick up and move. I move by choice, but sometimes people have to move by circumstances. So I would have stayed involved. But when it comes to the financial part, $50,000 was, I think I over prepared. I mean, it gave me a great cushion because I was able to take some time off work, which is what I wanted to do anyway. So it gave me some time off work without having to worry about money. But I, I over prepared in the area. But again, that was me not knowing what to expect. Yeah. And it's not just you. It's not like you're just packing up a suitcase for yourself. You have kids too. Oh, yes. And I only have a baby one. I have a two-year-old, but he's he's pretty expensive too. So much maintenance. But six months in, I mean, does it feel like home yet? And do you think you right, you made a, the right move? If it's not too soon to ask. No, I think that I made the right move. If it feels like home, I think we're getting there. Um, living in a space for, for that long, I didn't realize how attached I was to, to so many things. Not only the things that were in my house, but also around me. I had to come out here and now I have to find a new grocery store, a new library, mm -hmm. uh, all new places where I'm where am I going to get gas, what school are my boys going to go to. How am I going to connect with my neighbors? Again, these were things that I did not have to think about for over a decade to now I have to be conscious of all of those things. So it's slowly but surely it's starting to feel like home, but it has been an adjustment. Yeah. I mean, for you, obviously, there's been these big milestones in your life. I mean, you got divorced very young. How long has that been? 10 years? But It was before you moved into that apartment or um, it was after? My divorce was final in 2014, in 2015. So I was still living in my old apartment. I didn't move out of my old apartment until January of 2021. I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, so much of your early to mid 20s. I mean, you went through a lot. Yes. You had two kids. You had been divorced. I mean, you've had a whole lifetime, which I'm sure was so traumatic for so many reasons. And I'm sure, I don't know, maybe you would differently, but you wouldn't like raise your hand to repeat maybe some of those experiences because they were, you know, challenging. Um, but at the same time, part of me is like, damn, you got a master class in hard knocks and in, <laughs> and in resiliency. So if you can sort of look back at, let's start with, you know, maybe where, wherever you want to go, either the divorce or being a young mother 
But if you can go back and sort of look at the way that that impacted your approach to finances and sort of led you on this this path toward educating tens of thousands of Black women at this point um, in how to improve their finances, how do you think that has impacted you for the better and maybe for the worse? If I had to go back, I would I would start when I was 19. That was when I had to tell my mom that I was expecting a child. So I was fresh out of school. Um, I had decided early on that I didn't want to go to college. And this just goes to show how little I knew about finance at the time. Um, I was out of high school, but I worked at a retail store. And they told me, you know, once you graduate, we'll let you work full time. So I'm thinking like, oh, wow, I'm going to be making so much money. I think I was making like $7 an hour at the time. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to be able to work full time. I'm going to make so much money. I'm not going to college. I don't, you know, I, I don't need to do that because I'm going to be making more money. And it wasn't that I just decided not to go to college. It was that I didn't have a plan for anything. I just thought, from part time to full time means more money. I guess I'm doing something right. And so my mom, she she sat me down and she said, hey, listen, if you're not going to go to college, if if you're not going to plan to do anything else, if working is what you're going to do, you need to start considering a job that's going to come with some perks, some benefits, some type of 401k package, which my job at the time was not offering any of that. And so my mom, she introduced me to a position at a company she was working for, which was a financial institution. So this was my first introduction to black women helping other black women in the finance space. Now, although this was my mom, this was my first experience with that. So my mom introduced me to the finance industry. I got my first job at 19. And then shortly after I was pregnant. So it, it was very tough for me at that time because I'm I'm making more money. I have benefits. I have insurance. I have a 401k, all of these things that I didn't even know existed. And I went immediately into now having to use this newfound money to take care of uh, someone else. So my experience with money was shifted very early before I can even get a hold on what finance or personal finance meant for me as an individual. I immediately went into having to care for another child. And this shows a lot in the work that I do today in personal finance because it's very centered around community. A lot of it is individual, but I, I really play a part on how important community is for people that are on their personal finance journey because community was really the only thing that helped me make it through financially when I was very young because I was experiencing a lot of things before I had even experienced life. I was experiencing things that had completely shaped my view on money, what it, what money meant to me way early. So mm -hmm. after having my, my first, my first child, my mom, again, she stepped in and she said, Hey, listen, you have a child now he's here. There's, you know, there's not anything that we can do about that, but I know that you don't know how to be a mother. You would think that it would come to you naturally, but the truth of the matter was I was 20. I didn't know anything. So my mom, she told me to quit my job, to give up my apartment and to move in with her. Again, my mom's coming through the amazing woman. She is. I'm to, seeing that. Yes, Superhero. Yes. <laughs> she, she told me to give up my apartment, to quit my job, move in with her and let her 
teach me how to be a mom. And that is exactly what she did. She taught me everything that I needed to know. But again, I'm still learning about personal finance and money because my mom was caring for us financially. But for me, not having my own source of income to care for my child bothered me on a personal level. So now I'm learning the emotional side of personal finance and money because I I had an option, which was my mom. She could have did everything financially, but personally and emotionally and mentally not having my own money, it, it bothered me. I couldn't explain why back then, but it did. So I picked up a job at McDonald's. So now here I am with a child and I'm working overnights at McDonald's just to have some type of check. So I'm having all of these experiences with money very early. And then shortly after that, I got married, had another child. How did you approach getting married at that point? Because with your mom, you had, well, yes, you were, you're, you were in a way being supported or at least, you mm-hmm. know, in a safe space with your mom, were you able to save money? You're raising your son. And when you approached marriage and, and I, you know, even through my coaching program and myself, I think when you are, when you have your own income as a woman and you have a child and you're going into a new relationship, did you, what were the emotions like then? And how difficult was it for you to think about merging your finances, if at all, with oh. a new partner? How did y'all navigate that? So after living with my mom for a while, and I, I left in a much better position. So by the time I left my mom's house, I, I had saved up money from McDonald's. I was able to get my old job back that I quit. I was able to go back there and I purchased the car and got a new apartment. So now my mom gave me what would have been considered a head start And instead of me using that head start and just hitting the ground and going I was just so excited by now I have money, my own money. I have car, I have a better apartment. And I I went immediately into a paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. So it's, it was like, I still didn't know. Now I'm still young. I am. I still didn't know, yeah. you know, what to do with this newfound, what I would have thought to be back then financial freedom. I, I didn't know what to, to do with that. And so I started dating. Um, and when I met my, my ex-husband, there were, I don't even remember us ever talking about money at all. He seemed like a good guy. He thought I was a good girl. I think we was like, Hey, let, you know, let's date. And then next thing you know, he was living in my apartment. Now we're together. Now we're getting married. I never once, we never once had a conversation about money, bills, who's responsible for what. It, it was just mm. like, we know the rent is due. So however the rent gets paid, you know, it gets paid. We know that. And, I, and to be honest, I probably was paying them just out of out of habit. But what, but what happened in that situation was we never discussed money at all. And now we, we, we get married. And I remember my mom, she asked me, she was like, you know, are you sure this is what you want to do? Again, I'm still super young. So I'm like, yes, you know, I'm in love. This is what I want to do. We get married September by January. I filed for divorce. Wow. That fast. What were some of the red flags? I mean, obviously, well, I mean, it takes two to tango, right? I mean, it's a two-way street right. communication. So didn't talk about finances, but what else what else? And and financially, it must have been really terrifying to also go through a separation. Did you come to rely on him financially at that point? It wasn't as much as I relied on him financially. 
I didn't know that I was relying on him financially until we set when we separated, it dismantled a shared financial life that I, I didn't even realize existed. Like at that point, two incomes were coming into to the home. So it wasn't just, you know, my money that was taking care of things. So when we separated, I was now 100% responsible for the rent, the bills, childcare, transportation. And so I was hit with a whole ton of expenses that before I only had to worry about 50% of that. So now I'm responsible for all of these things overnight. Because one of the things that I don't think um, a lot of people consider is that when you go through a divorce, there's the middle part that a lot of people gloss over. So it's not oh, we got married and we got a divorce. We got married, we got separated, and it took us almost a year to finalize the divorce. So within that year, if you and that person are not on good terms or speaking terms and they completely withdraw their financial support, you still have to figure out how to make it you know, for mm-hmm. a, a year. But when I think about red flags, for me, the, the, the biggest thing was, I, I think it got to a point where, now another child is involved. So I'm already coming into the marriage with my my first son. And then now I'll, me and him are married and now we have a child together. So for me, it was almost like a light bulb went off overnight where I was realizing that a lot of the things that were happening just financially, just it, it didn't seem right. Me getting support with the children, it didn't seem equal. I felt like I was working all day and still having to come home and tend to the children 100%. So that's why I'm so passionate about this now, because to hear women that are twice my age still go through some of these things or are going through some of these things, Knowing that I went through it at 24, it's almost heartbreaking in a, in a way to realize like it's still happening. So I, I was feeling like it wasn't it wasn't equal, it wasn't fair. Now I'm young then, so I don't really know how to relate to. I don't know what's happening, but I know something doesn't feel right. I didn't know what it was called or what it, what type of label to put on it, but something didn't feel right. And then an incident occurred. I was I was at this time I tried to go back to school. I tried to actually go to college while I'm working. I have two children and and an incident occurred and it was like, okay, this is the last straw because now it's like the light bulb went off. I'm realizing something has to happen. Something has to be different because I am financially responsible for two children. I want better for, for them. And then we got married in September. An incident happened in January. I filed for divorce the next day. And I couldn't even afford to pay for a divorce lawyer. I told my mom what happened. And again, my mom paid for the divorce lawyer. Like my mom, to me, I'm so thankful for her. She plays a major role in my life, but she has been a, the, a black woman that has given me my first introduction to finance and the community that is necessary for black women in finance almost at almost every turn of my life. I feel like I have to know your mom's name. Her name is Sharice. Oh my goodness. She she's amazing. Her name is Sharice. She's amazing. Shout out to Sharice. We love you, Sharice. Yes, we, we do. All mothers out there dealing with us in our shenanigans. Oh my goodness. There yes. To pick us up off the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I called my mom before this call and I was like, mommy, um, I'm really overwhelmed. She's like you got this. I was like, cool. Thank you. Bye. Um, <laughs> we all need our mamas. Yes, we do. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from Daisha Kennedy. 
Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Do you ever have subscriptions that you forget about? I did. Mm-hmm. Do you have a hard time canceling those subscriptions because they seem tricky or time consuming? Raise your hand. I know it's you. Okay. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Yes. I can see all my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something I don't want, I cancel it with a tap. I've never had to get on the phone with customer service in order to do so. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Okay. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash brownambition. That's rocketmoney.com slash brownambition. Rocketmoney.com slash brownambition. Okay, we are back. I'm talking to Daisha Kennedy from The Broke Black Girl. Let's get back into our conversation. So we're at you're at around 25. You're divorced. And you've written about this before. Um, but in the wake of that divorce, you racked up some pretty significant credit card debt. Yes. At, what was it? $25,000. Yes. This is back in the broke stage of the broke yes. black girl. No money. You're really living no money, two babies. Talk to me about how you began to claw your way back out. Because um, I find this, I mean, obviously it's truly inspirational, but you really were starting from like not just nothing, but like negative. Yes. So when when you think about money and when you think about debt, a lot of times you would you will hear the recommendation of like living on rice and beans cutting out everything so that you could throw all of your money towards that completely went over my head. I was young. I'm like, the debt is there. 
it's, it's going to sit there. I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. I was caught up in like paycheck to paycheck, payday loans, credit cards. I was trying to do anything possible to bridge the gap between my living expenses and my income. Because before I was only responsible for 50% of the household expenses. Or so I, I thought it could have been more, it could have been less. But in my mind, there's two incomes coming into the household. We were taking care of the expenses to now I am 100% responsible for everything. So the thought of reducing expenses never crossed my mind in the beginning. I was, again, emotionally attached to everything that I had that I thought like, okay, instead of reducing anything or cutting out anything, I'm just going to figure out a way to just cover what I had. And sometimes that looked like working overtime or it looked like getting a, an advance on my paycheck or getting a, a payday loan and then getting another payday loan to pay off that payday loan. It was a horrible cycle. It was a horrible cycle. And it wasn't until, and, and this is going to sound so crazy, but I, I got to a point in my life where I was like, you know what? I am completely living in a ditch. I'm like, my finances are in a ditch. My life is in a ditch. Spiritually, I, I feel horrible about where I'm at. I, I have went through this divorce. And this is what you have to be so careful about the things that you speak. Because in the midst of me crying about this, this experience and being in a ditch, I fell in a ditch and broke my foot. No. No. I fell in a ditch and I, and I broke my foot. And this took me out of, of work. This mm -hmm. took me out of work. So it took me out of work. I'm at home. I can't do anything because my foot is broke. So I had no choice but to face the music because I wasn't going to work. I didn't have any distractions. It's just me at home with this broken foot. And I had a, a decent job at the time and I had benefits. So I was going to get um, disability pay, but it was the, the wait for disability pay, which was really just one week. That one week, all of my bills and expenses came crashing down. And then when I sat down and I did the math and I realized that I was making enough money to cover all of our expenses, I was just spending the money horribly, spending the money horribly. But that one week, me having to wait to get paid and having to penny pinch and figure things out was the first time I sat down and I actually created a budget and I created a debt management plan. And this is when I learned the importance of communicating with your lenders, because there was a lot of things that I did. I used transportation instead of purchasing a car, which I could afford a car, but I couldn't afford a car and pay off debt. So instead of getting a car, me and my children, we use public transportation. I reduced my living expenses. I was living in an apartment at the time. Our we our rent probably was like two thousand dollars. So I moved to an apartment, which is where I ended up staying for years. I moved there, and my rent was at the time four seventy five. My rent only went up one time, and it was five, it ended up ending at like five hundred and fifty dollars. So I reduced living expenses. I cut back in as much as I could, and I and I used these methods to slowly start throwing my free money, which was now free money to me 
towards my debt payments. And this is where I learned how important it is to communicate with your lenders. Because I had experienced what would be considered a life-altering financial hardship, which was a divorce, there were a lot of programs that were available to me that I would not have known existed if I didn't pick up the phone and just ask and just say, hey, I know that I have this debt. This is what has happened in my life. My income has changed. So I was able to get on a few different programs that made paying off my debt much easier. And that is how I slowly but surely started to work my way up to paying off a ton of the debt that I gained after the divorce. Can I ask you a weird question? Yes. Have you ever gone back to that ditch? No, no, you know what? I have not been back to that park. I had, I was at a birthday I party. Like, I have not been back to that park. I feel like you should go there and put a plaque. And here on this spot, in whatever day it was, was a new beginning for Daisha Kennedy. Oh my goodness! Because I mean, that feels like such a significant. We we're talking about symbolism, such a, such a significant moment. I thought about that quote from Oprah, where it's like sometimes the universe or God or whoever you believe in throws you a pebble, and if you don't feel the pebble, then it's a rock, and if it's not a rock, then it's a brick, and then maybe it's a brick wall. And I feel like that. You falling in the ditch was just like someone up there was like, sit down, yes, Daisha. Yes. <laughs> and it really, I mean, at, at its core, it just sounds like it's lifestyle inflation. And it's and it's lifestyle inflation that's so nefarious because you're not really aware of it. I mean, how much of that also was wrapped up in you wanting to give your children a certain lifestyle? And did you find it difficult to tell them no to things that in the past you had been able to say yes to. Yeah, a large part of it, a large part of it was me trying to compensate for what I knew my children were experiencing, what I was experiencing, trying to buy my way into feeling better. That had a lot to do with it. And yes, it was very difficult to tell my boys no, which is why now I'm so thankful for the relationship that I have with my children, especially my oldest son. I'm so thankful for the relationship that I have with them now because it is built on honesty and transparency because that played a very large part. It was was tough for me to catch the bus. You know, my morning started every day at 4 a.m. because I had to drop my boys off at daycare by 5.30 a.m. And I had to be at work by 8 a.m. So we had to catch two buses. It was hard for me to do that. Very hard for me to do that. But I had to keep telling myself that, you know, it's, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. I divorced in 2015. I purchased my first car post-divorce in 2016. And I still have that car today. I don't think that a lot of people understand the emotional part of money that is tied into divorce. Because when you go through something traumatic like a divorce, you almost feel like you don't, you don't, half of what you had is gone. So there's not too much that you can do to compensate for that. So you start trying to buy your way into feeling better. And for me, I looked up and I had chased that feeling better feeling for so long that it was $25,000 worth of expenses and debt that I I didn't I didn't have. You know, I climbed myself into debt chasing something that that money or expenses never could have given me. Mm. I mean, how much of it is also, I mean, I'm not maybe you have some experience here too, but I think about shame a lot, especially in speaking to the people that I get to talk to through my work who are going through financial struggles or even I, I do a lot of career coaching and a lot of it is 
I can sense on the other side, like shame and not wanting to say the thing that you've done or that you think is horrible. Like, oh, I mean, I, I didn't negotiate my salary. And they, you know, they kind of say it in a way that's like, I'm ashamed of this, or I know it's shameful. And shame can be such a, it can really push you to make, to continue digging yes. yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. How, if any shame, how much shame did you experience during that time? And when did you kind of get to the point where you were like, you know what, I'm done feeling bad about this situation. I can't necessarily move forward if I'm just going to kind of beat myself up about it the entire time. I experienced shame a lot. And and it, and to be honest, it wasn't because of anyone that I was around or any one thing in particular that someone may have said or done. It was a lot of what I made up in my head. Like I thought, yeah. okay, you got married, but then you got divorced like shortly after you messed up. You should be ashamed of that. Like I felt like shame was the consequence of of my actions of not properly preparing for the marriage, not asking the right questions. So it made me feel like a lot of what was happening, it was almost like, well, that's what you get. So, you know, you can't you can't be honest and ask for help or say you messed up because you did this. It, it was the pressure of me thinking that I had somehow failed that kept me from seeking the help that I needed, that kept me from facing it head on. Because if I have to be honest, if it wasn't for me falling in that ditch, I probably would have ran from that for who knows how long. And, it, and, and that's ultimately what led me to creating the broke black girl. Like if I hadn't, if I didn't do that, who know, I probably would have skipped right, right over this. I probably would have never even sat down to even think like personal finance is something that I want should know. And then two, I'm good at it. And then I can talk to yeah. other people about it. Like I, I never would have sat down and had that experience had I not fallen in that, you know, that ditch. And I would not have fallen in that ditch if I wasn't already in the mind frame of speaking into existence because I felt like my finances and whole life was in a ditch. So it's like once I came out of that, it was a realization that shame, shame doesn't have to have that type of control or, or power over you. Like, I think I gave it more power than, than it than it initially had. Yeah. I mean, I think we talk a lot about domestic abuse and financial abuse when there's like a partner in it. But we are, we as women and people in general, we are often our worst abusers. Yes. Especially when it comes to emotional, verbal abuse. Like if you could imagine if the voices in our head were like a person, we would have followed the restraining order. Yes. You know, we would... We would have reported them to the FBI like this is America's most wanted. You know, this person is a terrorist, a mental terrorist. And it's like, it's us. So, yeah, <laughs> I feel like we all go through that all the time. But I mean, obviously, you've come such a long way. The Broke Black Girl, you know, you launched that in 2017. Is that right? Yes. And you've built this massive community. I mean, tens of thousands of women on IG. You're constantly sharing your update of how much debt collectively your community has paid yeah. down, which I think is so inspiring. Do you know what the total is now? So the last time we did this, so what we did was a 45-day challenge. And then the last 45-day challenge, we ended up doing a little bit over a million dollars. I mean, that's amazing. And I think going back to community, you know, your mom helped you. And then, I mean, you took it a little bit further. You weren't just like, I'm going to help one person. I'm going to help tens of thousands of women, which is, I mean, phenomenal. And I mean, you are literal brown ambition sitting across from me. So I love that we get to talk to you here. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about pulling yourself out of your own ditch. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> what a beautiful, I just love a good analogy, just a good symbolism. Um, I do think, you know, going back and putting a plaque at that ditch, just a little like, just a little remembrance of, yeah, of what came that. out of the ditch versus what went in, you know? All right. So you're in this new chapter, but how much, so, and this is, this is sort of the challenge too. When you have, I think we're all very familiar with a pull yourself up by the bootstrap, pay mm -hmm. your debt off, especially as black women. I mean, I think the storyline of our struggle and our perseverance, like media loves it. Tell us about all the debt you had. Tell us about being a teen mom. It sort of feeds into that storyline mm -hmm. of like black struggle and black trauma and all of that. But we're and now you being on the other side and now you're building wealth. Saving $50,000 to you. I mean, 10 years ago, could you have imagined? No. Like, that's incredible. No. And you've built this business. You are, you're working on all these exciting projects. But now, how have you had to, like, shift your mindset for wealth building and no longer struggling? And, and what has that been like for you? So it really has been a struggle because for so long, my mind operated in a survival instinct where I was scared to spend money because I always thought like, well, what if something happens and I need it? Or what What if, even though I'm not married, but it's like, what if I get divorced or, or, or what if I have to pick up and go? Like I, I always operated out of a survival mode. So now that my income has increased, I'm doing amazingly well with my business. I have the flexibility of having my own time, of owning my time. Like the proof is in the pudding. Things are good. And I can see that. And I know that, but it has been an, an everyday push for me to, to tell myself that they should, you deserve these things. You worked hard for these things. Your children are deserving of these things. And not just things, Things as in material things, but lifestyle, happiness, peace, all of the things that my income increasing or my situation improving has granted me, I am deserving of those things. So as much as I would like to say that the shift has been amazing, I think that I would do a disservice of what it actually means to recover from any type of financial trauma that it that's to me is a it's a lifelong journey because that's something I actually did experience. So knowing that that type of trauma is real and it exists and it's out there, it is it is a lot of work to shift from survival to stability, but I find so much joy and so much peace in knowing that these things that I have been granted, I am deserving of. And so that is something that I work on every day to, to make sure that I find peace in knowing that the, I did the work. What does your support system look like as you're on this now journey toward wealth building? You know, for me, I got a financial planner a long time ago before I even had, you know, quote unquote wealth. But, you know, she's someone who I feel like can remind me that I'm worthy of things. And she helps like, you know, fight against that evil voice in my head. That's like, what if, you know, because I have the same fear as child of divorce, <laughs> please, you know, what if da 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 da. But do you feel like you've got, uh, um, you know, either people that you've hired or advisors or people in your in your, you know, in your immediate circle that can help you get to that next level? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I definitely have a financial advisor. And then I have a therapist and we focus a lot on the emotional side around money. So between them two, 
I have a very good balance as well as, you know, my family, my mom, she's still there. She, yeah, she's still there. She's still helpful. And just hearing, you know, that she's proud of me and she's always cheering me on. It keeps me at a real good space. Like I feel amazing about where I'm at now, but I do know that the journey to financial recovery or just getting over any of that trauma is long. Like for me, it had to be more of, just looking in the mirror and saying affirmations. Like I needed more than that. So being able to unpack the practical side with my advisor and unpack the emotional side with my therapist, as well as being surrounded by the love and support from my family, it has done wonders for me. So having that as my support system and then my children, seeing them, you know, my boys, they're happy and I can say yes to things without it being a grievance for me later on financially, like seeing that on them and like my boys have their own rooms like before we lived in a small two-bedroom apartment we were so crammed up so now seeing my boys in the backyard or in their own rooms or in the driveway playing basketball it's things like that that just give me such a refresher like knowing that I did the work to be able to give my boys things that 10 years ago I could not have imagined I find so much peace in that and I can sit back and say Daisha You did the work and it is okay to enjoy the fruits of your labor and being able to see my children thrive on the other side of my sacrifices is just all of the support that I need. That's beautiful. I want to leave it there. I mean, I don't want to leave it, but I got to leave it there. Daisha Kennedy, the broke black girl. Thank you so much for joining Brown Ambition and sharing your story with us. It's been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this so much. Take care of Georgia for me. Okay. Say hi. I will. Thank you. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.